0: Welcome to Rejuvenaging with Dr. Ron Kaiser. This is the podcast designed to help you live your life enthusiastically today, tomorrow, and every other day of your life. I am your host, Ron Kaiser. I'm a positive health psychologist, also a keynote and TEDx speaker and author of the award-winning and best-selling book, Rejuvenaging: the Art and Science of Growing Older with Enthusiasm. My website is the Mental Health Gym. It is your source of information for all things related to wellness, rejuvenating, positive psychology, my own spin on it, which I call goal achieving psychology. And it's also a place to recommend other guests for this podcast. As you know, our podcasts tend to feature very interesting people who lead their own lives enthusiastically and have different ways of helping us to become better versions of ourselves through enthusiasm and through their own special attributes. And today, I am really happy to welcome Michelle Quay. Michelle is a really special person. She's a certified confidence and leadership mindset coach who helps people to upgrade from having internal negatives to fearlessly unleashing their positive thinking and potential, Michelle is the founder and owner of her own company, in which she calls Elevate Life Coaching. She is an author. She has written a book called Perfectly Normal, and in it, describes an immigrant story of making it in America. It's an inspirational journey of overcoming adversity after an automobile accident changed her life's trajectory at a really young age. Michelle was born in Taiwan and grew up in New York. Today lives in California, but her coaching program is available to you wherever you may be living. And we'll hear more about it as we go through it. The biggest challenge of Michelle's life which really began her transformation and her journey was as a result of a car accident at age 11. Hard to think of something like that as being transformative, but apparently it really was. And living with a disability had made her, what she said, calls, play small for much of her life. The idea of really loving and appreciating herself was foreign to her, and she overcame this. We're going to hear all about it, and more importantly, how she can help others to transform their lives, even if they haven't had to go through the kind of trauma that Michelle has. And so it is both a pleasure and an honor, Michelle, to welcome you to Rejuvenating with Dr. Ron Kaiser.
1: Thank you so much, Dr. Ron Kaiser. It's a pleasure meeting you.
0: Well, Let's get into this because I know you've got a really interesting story to tell and you were born in Taiwan came to the United States at what age?
1: I came to United States when I was 15 so four years after my car accident.
0: Okay and as I understand it before you were injured that the only impairment you had was you were short. Am I correct? I think you're still four feet ch- four or something like that.
1: Yes. So so my I, I don't believe I ever grown since I was eleven. <laughs> right now the audience can see me, but if they were to be able to see me, I if I stand up in front of the camera, it's just the same height as if I was sitting. Um so it makes no difference. <laughs> Yeah, it's always been short. And I always struggle when I go to grocery store to reach the top shelf. And and it used to be, I kept wondering, like, why do people put most essential stuff on the top of the shelf rather than on the bottom of the shelf? So I could never reach the essentials on the top. Yeah.
0: So it's, it's really interesting that society kind of is built with certain expectations. And, you know, whether somebody has a disability or not, if they don't meet those expectations in terms of height, you still have challenges as you go through it. Why don't you tell us a little bit about the journey that made you you?
1: So, after my car accident, I went through multiple surgery. I was recovering from a rehab center back in Taiwan. And was when I
0: just, just so I understand, we're Orthopedic
1: injuries. It or was injury? orthopedic, orthopedic injury. So I had multiple ortho surgeries to repair, to do the repairment, and they also put uh, pins into my bone just to secure. Because I was still at the age, really young age, when my growing was still at its peak. So when I got discharged from the hospital, because as you are developed, your structure, your bone structure is still taking the process. So my doctor said, gave me a pair of metal braids and he said, you're going to have to wear these until you're, you're kind of like stabilized after 18 or so, then you can consider taking it off. So I was giving a pair to wear until I was 18 but they're, they're not very best looking shoes that I would recommend to anybody. And so when I was giving that pair, I kind of stood there and I was just looking at it. I'm thinking, I don't want to wear these ugly pair. Like, how am I going to match any any clothing with it? And during that time my parents also received the paperwork to have the permission to come to United States. So I actually didn't go through the full process of physical rehab in terms of how to walk properly, how to how to use my crutches. I kind of just went along and figured things out on my on my own, you know, as I go through how do you how do you walk, how do you wear those uh, I believe those metal bracelet it was 2 to 3 pounds, so it's a lot of weight just wearing them. And they're not the most comfortable thing to wear either. And coming from Taiwan to America, that was pretty much my apparatus that I was in coming to this country. I remember coming to this country. My mom took me to local high school to enroll me for the following semester. And when I got to the admission office, my mom said, oh, you know, she's like 16 years old. She's about to be 16. So she needs to be in high school. And then the administrator told my mom in English that she needs to be in a special ed. And my mom didn't speak English at the time. So my aunt who came with us, she was doing the translation and my mom threw a fist. My mom said, she's not stupid. She has the brightest child in the family. She is not going to special ed. And luckily, my mom was so adamant about putting my me into the just a, a general public high school. It re- really made a difference because had my mom not listened to her inner voice, I would call it the uh, polite assertiveness. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I would probably end up being a special ed school, going through that process of learning at a, at a slower pace. Um, it would be a different life picture altogether. So I'm really appreciative of my mom, how she stood up for me. She spoke up for me. But that there's a problem by going to the public school with my apparatus on me because every time I walked in, all my classmates or schoolmates, they would turn and they would look at me. And every time I go to class, people treat me very differently. Even the teacher treat me very differently. Again, you know, you, you were talking about how the culture shape out the way that we see our disability. And I believe that the interaction I receive from the schoolmates, from the teacher, it also shaped my thinking process, thinking that I am different, I am special, I have special needs. And that was a mindset that I carried from high school all the way to college, that I am special, in, not in a good way, but rather in a very debilitating and disability state of mind. I didn't believe I can do a lot of things because of how I look. I didn't believe that I am capable of competing with others when everyone is so advanced, they're so active, they're doing a lot of things, activity at school. I didn't see myself participating in any of those. That was a mindset going through school.
0: Before you take us beyond school, (laughs) considering the fact that you were uh, labeled as being a a special ed student, and uh, again, you, you really owe a lot to your mother for sticking up for you at that time, but maybe you can share with the audience how how far you actually got in school. What have you uh, accomplished?
1: I got all the way to to finish school. I have a doctor's pharmacy degree, so it's postgraduate school. The reason being, you know, I have a very traditional Chinese parents in the Chinese family, and I know a lot of cultures do too. There is that belief that our children need to be somewhat having a degree, having a title in order to be um, seen upon and, and somewhat kind of hold our, our social, social standards. I have parents like that. And so my mom was really adamant about putting me to school. She wanted me to have some kind of skill so that I can make a living without, without relying on anyone else. So they saw that coming. They knew that that was going to be a problem if I don't have a skill. So my mom convinced me from college when I graduated from college that I need to have some kind of skill by going to pharmacy. And pharmacy was one of the big topics around that time. Everybody, all the children went to went to became a pharmacist. I got onto that train of becoming a pharmacist. In college, I, I majored chemistry and bio- biochemistry. And I had the impression that I was going to somehow find a job in an office, which I did. And in my book, I had talked about that experience where that was my first interview ever. I was so scared. I was so fearful that I brought my mom with me. (laughs) I brought my mom with me. She sat in the car and I walked in to do the interview. And on that interview, it was a Boeing company. My job was as a chemistry graduate, my job was to manage a team of people at the Boeing company in a local office in New York. And so I walked in and all these men in the construction field, they're big and they're huge, you know? So they're, we're talking about like six feet tall, at the very least and they're masculine and they're built. And here I was, you know, I was four feet, four inches tall, just to paint the picture for you, that four feet, four (laughs) inches tall, trying to manage all these six foot guys, um, But that 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 interview didn't go really well because I was so fearful. I didn't really show up for myself. I kept thinking, are they going to hire me? Do they like me? Are they going to see my ability rather than see my appearance? And I believe our culture is really built upon that first impression. And we talk about having that good first impression everywhere we go, whether it's relationship or interview, job interview. We talk about that first impression. If I can perceive that person as someone who I can trust, someone who's reliable, then I can hire that person on. And somehow I have that mindset of... That first impression involves your physical appearance, which is true because people talk about dress up, you know, professionally when you go to an interview. There's a reason for that because that's the first thing that people will see. How well you dress? How do you carry yourself? What language do you use? Do you use a lot of swear words and things like that? People will judge you based on how you are presenting. And for me, it was a big challenge because I don't have that first impression. I don't have to look. So the minute I sat down in that, on that interview, I started thinking about, do they like me? Am I capable of handling this? And it was no surprise why I didn't get that job. Now looking back.
0: Well, somewhere along the line, you obviously made some kind of a shift in your mindset. Now, I I know uh, people may listen to this and say, geez, she went all the way through school and got her doctorate and, and subsequently, as I understand you, have worked as a uh, as a clinical pharmacist, but there it sounds like there was maybe a split in your thinking. It sounds like you never really, up to a point, got past that initial feeling of being different. And I'm I'm just wondering. Obviously, something happened. People can hear you, and they can tell that you know your self image is is a whole lot like what what a lot of people would like to have. Was there a a particular event or something that changed the the trajectory of your life uh, in a positive way?
1: Yeah, so I kind of just follow a shoebox you know, shoebox, shoebox process. It's all contained. You get that one pair of shoes, you open it up and you're expecting to see that pair of shoes. So I went through that same process of going through school and this is what's expected of me, but it's not what I wanted. It's not how I was feeling. I was just doing so hard and working so hard just to make it under everyone else's expectation. So a lot of times, you know, when I think about meeting the expectation, I think about me putting on the shoes and we all put on our shoes every day. But the question is, whose shoes are we putting on for today? Mm. Is it my shoes or is it your shoes? Who, whose shoes is it? And when I think about um, what really changed me was that point where I have everything. It looks perfect on the outside. But I was asking myself, why can I be happy? Why am I waking up in the middle of the night crying and pinching myself so hard that, you know, I bruise my leg? And why is it that I have this idea of wanting to chop off my leg so I can install a new player and maybe life would be different? So there was a constant thinking around why me why am I stuck in this body? Why can I do more? Why can't I just be happy? And that was the, the main focus of all that negative self-talk that was going on. Why can't I just be happy? I have everything. I have parents. I have a roof over my head. I have a great job, great re- retirement plan. What is missing? So I was in the process of continuing searching what is missing. And I think what was missing is really that understanding, that self-identity. And I think early on at 11, when I was going through that process of finding, defining who I am, I didn't have that opportunity to really look at who I am. So I followed through all the steps that everybody else defined me. They think that I, need, I, I am brave. They believe that I am courageous. They believe that I am inspirational. But I didn't really truly understand who is it, it is who is inspirational, who is courageous. So I didn't see myself as that person. So no matter what people tell me, I didn't believe it. And you don't believe something. How can you possibly take it out and actually live with it?
0: At this point, I believe you still use crutches or a crutch or how how do you ambulate?
1: When I have to walk long distance, I still use two crutches just because it's easier for my back. But on the day to day basis, I use one crutch. When I look into the mirror, my left leg is a little shorter than my right, about one and a half inches shorter because the left leg is deformed. So it started to grow inward. My bones start to grow inward because I decided it was so ugly with that metal brace. I wanted to take it off and I didn't wear it since uh, 17. So for a good period of time, I was just using my body weight and my leg was deformed because of the way that I was looking, uh, walking improperly.
0: So now I can't.
1: I can go anywhere without just one walking with one crutch.
0: Well, there is a video of you using two crutches in a, in a very uh, unique place that most people uh, would have difficulty navigating. Can you tell us a little bit about that? Because I, that that's really impressive. Yeah, I mean, sure. much of you is very impressive, but that that's really impressive.
1: Thank you. Yeah. So the video you saw was a journey where I hike with my two crutches to Machu Picchu by via the Inca Trail. So the Inca Trail is in Peru, Cusco, and it takes you through the mountain into the actual site of Machu Picchu. So there's two way that we can get to Machu Picchu. One is by taking the train up to Machu Picchu. And the other way is actually hike through 26 miles of the old ancient Inca Trail that leads to Uh, Machu Picchu site. And on the trail, the elevation comes from, it goes from 8,000 feet to 1,400 feet. The second day, I was able to hike with my two clutches to the top highest altitude in Machu Picchu, which is 14,000 above sea level. (laughs) The, The reason why I did it, it was really quite simple. I was feeling, I was done. I was that completely done and feeling sorry for myself. You know how we were talking about there's you know, something that was missing. So when I kept searching what was missing, I realized that I don't want to live this way and continue to think about what is missing. I'm going to pursue my happiness and whatever that happiness look like, I'm going to pursue it. And the one step that I took was going to a gym and signing up and to start training myself to be physically able start doing something that I can participate in people's conversation. So my friend at the time, they were talking about hiking. So I wanted to be part of that conversation. I want to feel that belongingness in that conversation. So I decided to tell my personal trainer, I say, Hey, you know, can you help me? Because I like to hike. And then that went on to the following year in 2009, 16, I booked myself a ticket with my two crutches and they were pink. <laughs> so those listeners who go on and watch the video, they have pink crutches. I brought my two crutches and I hiked through it. And on that journey, you know, the, day, the two days before the actual hike, I came down with a stomach flu. And that was because I was really enjoying the town, the culture, the people. And that's one thing I love about traveling and just being able to move around. No matter how, you know, I like to move around to see people, to meet people, because I feel the only way to get myself out of my own tragedy or see myself as a big tragic life is by going out there and looking around me, start appreciating the nature, the people, understand them and hear their story. Their story inspires me to be better.
0: Well, it's a wonderful story and really inspirational. I guess the the thought that I have now is, I mean, if you accomplished these things and made the switch and all that, and basically continue to lead your life in a very upbeat way, that would be totally understandable. How did you decide then to kind of share it and, you know, become a coach and help others?
1: So I was on the top of the uh, Machu Picchu site. And when I finished the last 50 steps of stairs, got to the top, what was in front of me was there's a crowd of people waiting there in front of me. And they were all resting. They weren't particularly waiting for me, but they were all sitting there. And the moment I walked through that gate with my two crutches, they all stood up. Like, all of them stood up. They were clapping. They were applauding. They were cheering for me. And that was the point where I realized I can be impactful and you know I can, I can bring so much more inspiration by just speaking up, just sharing my story, just be vulnerable, just go out there and tell people about this journey. And maybe something will spark their fire. Something will inspire them to want to get up and do something about their life that they never thought about before. So with that idea, I came home and I was talking to a friend one day. And in our conversation, we were talking about uh, Life Coach. And I was looking back to all the little signals that had showed up in my, in my life that talk about inspiration, that talk about how I am able to do a lot of things despite of all the challenges, despite of the physical challenge. So when I look back, there was all these clues that was available to me that lead me to wanting to create an impact by coaching. And so I came home, I was doing a, a research online. I asked Google, I think everybody asks Google nowadays, Dr. Google. <laughs> so I asked Dr. Google, I said, what is Life Coach? So then I started searching and then I, I, I defined it. And it's basically a partnership between the two, two individuals where you inspire and hold the other person accountable for taking actions. So that in, in, in order to achieve goal, and I think you have your podcast is perfect because it's about goal. Your book is perfect because it's about achieving your goals. So it's about taking action steps in order to um, get to the life that we want to live. And so that idea was really just shining bright and suddenly things click. You know how you go into a dark room and you suddenly flip the switch and there it is, you see the light and that you know what is possible, what you can do and how you can serve. And I think for me particularly, I was looking for a way to serve. And serving takes me out of feeling sorry for myself.
0: Terrific story. There are tons of coaches out there. What is there that is unique about your method or that somebody who is looking for a coach may say, geez, she she really is the person I want to work with? What What is there that kind of... Designates who you are as a coach?
1: My greatest attribute, or I would say characteristic, is empathy. So I empathize with people, with clients. None of us have the same journey. Your story is very different than mine. My story is very different from the listeners. We all have our own story, our own journey. But on that journey, we all need that one person or a group of people, a tribe who can support us in reminding us that you are not alone on this journey. And being you are not alone on this journey, it requires you to cultivate that sense of empathy. I understand exactly what you're going through because I have gone through a similar struggle. For me, it was physical, but some of, for some of my clients, it's an emotional or mental disability that they, they just find themselves feeling stuck, just like how I was stuck in my own body. So I think no matter how we look at our life, no matter how different we are, there's still that sense of we are the same, no matter what culture you come from, what color of the skin, or what educational background you were in. We're all the same, and that experience in life is the same. I would say that the other, the other thing that's very different about me is I'm also a certified energy leadership coach. So the energy leadership really provides you with a uh, seven different ways of looking at your life situation. Does life happen to you, or does life happen around you? And you have seven different ways of choosing how you want your life to be, in response to any type of life situation or circumstances.
0: So I'm sure as people listen to you, they're very much inspired. Some people, though, will say, and I know we we get a broader uh, age range of listeners on the podcast. Some may say, you know, I've been doing things a particular way. This all sounds good. And if I was 20 or 30, I would really be thinking about doing something like this. But I'm too old. Is, are you ever too old to really get started in making changes?
1: You're never too old to start anything. And I always encourage people, you start where you are now. So the fact that you're listening to this podcast or our listeners listening to this podcast, it means that something inspires you. You wanted to learn more about one or certain aspects of your life. Why, why is that? Why do we have this desire for knowledge? Because we know that something is possible. And that possibility can only become a reality when you start taking actions. So you start where exactly you are now. It's never too late to start. So today, every day, we're reborn again. So if you are going to put on your shoes this morning, whose shoes would you be stepping into? One thing I um, I always ask people, especially in the beginning of the year, is if you have a bucket list, if you always had a bucket list and you notice that there are certain things on your bucket list keep showing up every single year, chances are it's a good sign that that is where you are struggling with. That is where you need to really be curious in exploring more. What is the reason why it keeps showing up? Why is it that you can't take actions? It's all because you keep putting it off because you think you're too old to start something new. But in reality, you were born today. You were born this morning. So get up and take some action. It may be small steps or you may travel slower, but you're going to get to it. And all begins with today.
0: The information is both educational and inspirational. And I know I'm, I personally, and I'm sure the listeners are really grateful for it. Uh, one thing, though, that you apparently can't do is slow down time. And unfortunately, we're running out of it. But I want to, uh, before we close, have you let us know what things are there out there where people can connect with you. Uh, I mentioned that you did write a book. Or I think how, how can people connected with with some of the things you've done and get connected with you so uh while we're going to have all this in the show notes why don't you let us know uh so that that our listeners don't have to uh work too hard at at finding it
1: (laughs) yeah absolutely so the best way to connect with me is go visit my website it's at elevatelifecoaching.org i have all tons of resources and information and podcasts and uh, places where you can order a book so the website is the best place to find me and if listeners who have um, social media they can find me on facebook at michelle quay or on Instagram at Elevate Life Coach.
0: And just from a, a practical standpoint, if somebody is interested in coaching, I believe that you're primarily online, which means you don't have to be in, in California to use your, your services. And what what is it? Is it a one-to-one thing? Do you do it in groups just so that... I'm trying to anticipate any questions people may have and give you a chance to answer them.
1: Yeah. So I do mostly one-on-one coaching. I do have a group, a mastermind group starting in March. It's a how to find your authentic self mastermind. So basically in the mastermind group, people who are not familiar with mastermind, it's basically everyone comes with their own talents and strength, and we contribute as a group to do something better for ourselves by receiving feedback, hearing what other our peers has to say and just brainstorm any kind of idea that can lead us to living a more authentic life with that strong self-identity. So that's also available but that doesn't start till March. So the best way to find out what's going on with uh, my events is by visiting my website. Again, it's at
0: elevatelifecoaching.org. So elevatelifecoaching.org. Okay, and again, we will have it in the show notes. This has really been, you know, just tremendous, both delightful talking with you, informative, inspirational. I'm so glad that you agreed to come on our podcast and uh, really look forward to uh, connecting again. Thanks very much, Michelle. This has been... Rejuvenating with Dr. Ron Kaiser, the podcast designed to help you live your life enthusiastically every day of your life. Our guest has been Michelle Quay, whose story is both educational and inspirational. And we look forward to connecting with Michelle again in the future. Thanks very much for coming on. Listeners, we hope that you will download, subscribe, rate the podcast, and be back next week when we have another interesting guest who will help you lead your life in the most enthusiastic way possible and become the best version of yourself. Again, please visit our website, The Mental Health Gym. And if you haven't yet got the book, Rejuvenating the Art and Science of Growing Older with Enthusiasm, it's available in all formats on Amazon. Thanks again for listening. Thanks, Michelle, for being with us. And this is Dr. Ron Kaiser signing off, encouraging you to stay enthusiastic and to stay safe. Take care.